Well, in this episode, Moshi Kasher, comedian, very funny man, comes in for a great conversation. Also, Robert Nagel, who's a stunt driver, stunt coordinator, did Ferrari, did Fast and Furious, did all Baby Driver, Gran Turismo, all your favorites. Gives us some really interesting insights to that. We have news as well, and we'll do all that right after this. Hey, everybody. Good news. We're doing the Comedy Fantasy Camp again. Jay Leno's going to be there. I'm going to be there. John Lovitz is going to be there. Caroline Ray is going to be there. Many, many other big comedians are going to be there. February 29th through March 3rd. Tickets are going to go fast, and it's all going to culminate at the world-famous Hollywood Improv. So come and join us at the Comedy Fantasy Camp and work with the pros. Get your tickets at ComedyFantasyCamp.com. Hold on to your jingle bells. Pluto TV has all your holiday favorites for free. Enjoy Christmas classics like Scrooge with Bill Murray or Last Holiday with Queen Latifah. Plus, dive into festive channels like holiday movie favorites by Lifetime or Hallmark Movies and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming holiday favorites on live channels and on demand. With thousands of free movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is your home for the holidays. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. From Corolla One Studios in Glendale, California, this is the Adam Corolla Show. Adam's guest today, comedian Moshe Kasher. And from the film Ferrari, stunt driver Robert Nagel. Plus, we'll do the news and trending topics with Chris Loxamana. And now, totally against Drag Queen Story Hour. Not the drag queens, just the reading part. Adam Carolla. Yeah, get it on. Got to get on. The choice was going to mandate you. Get it on. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Excited to have Moshe Kasher back in studio with his very interesting life tale now put in the form of a book. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, I was reading about you and your life and your past and uh, the trials and the tribulations and uh, now it's all captured. Well, I think we dis- we discussed trib- the, all the tribulations last time I was on. It was a very tribulation heavy it, it conversation. Was, it, it was tribulation centric. Yeah, but we didn't get to the trials. No. no. Well, there were actually trials. There was a there was a trial once uh, when my mother put me in this youth diversion program. Uh, she put me to this youth court in Oakland for biting her, mm. and I got sentenced to community service for biting my mother. And I remember going to the community services. How old were you? I probably was 14 at that point. Mm -hmm. And and I was very nervous to have to confront the other fellows in the yard, you know, (laughs) because they would go around and be like, what are you in for? Grand Theft Auto? What about you? Robbed a liquor store? What about you, white boy? I uh, bit my mama. Bit my mom. You better watch out. I'll bite you too. (laughs) Let me ask you. I feel, you know, when when you're in the yard... Sure. And you're dealing with felons, <laughs> you know, cop killers, pretty high up there. Yeah, that uh, gets a lot of respect. Molested a retarded kid is down. I would say yes, that right. gets less respect. B- biting mom might put you up, you know, because this cat will do anything. Oh, so yeah. you're saying, in a way, I inspired fear in the heart of cop killers. I'm saying there's certain crimes that fall in under the heading of crazy. Sure. Like sure. if you go, um, what are you in for? aggravated assault who'd you beat up 
myself. Yeah, that'd be that'd be like I'd go like, okay, don't fuck with this guy. Yeah, that's who's, that. That's you're the, in for arson. Whose house did you set on fire? My room. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. That would make me go, all right, this guy's fucking nuts. Right, and you probably and biters probably have to wear a muzzle. That's, yeah, you get one of those spit masks. Yeah. yeah. I think those are a, a more modern invention. I think people have started spitting on people more in the contemporary day than they did when I was young. I, I'm saddened to say that along with the barbed wire around the freeway signs and the spit muzzle, mm-hmm. these aren't inventions of yore. These are testimonies to the modern society that we've devolved into. <laughs> right. It's you a, know what I mean? It's a deep metaphor for our current society. Yeah, like in the 30s, fire stations didn't have a plaque in front that said, don't throw your kid in a dumpster, <laughs> drop him off here. You know? Yeah, but now, in the 30s, the kid was working at like a shoeshine factory for four cents an hour in indentured right. servitude. Things have gotten better and worse, I guess. I, I Just the fact that we have to make the statement, yeah, yeah. do not drop kick your kid into a river. <laughs> You can bring them by the firehouse. We got a Dalmatian and some chili. You know what's cool about it, though, is I don't know if you've ever seen the other side of one of the the Drop Your Baby here, but it's a really cool slide. It's like a water slide. It's really nice. It's fun for the kids, honestly. (laughs) Put your kid in a drawer like you're you're depositing in a bank. You know, maybe it goes into one of those old timey bank vacuum chute things or or maybe it goes into one of the like a hamster wheel with a little a water tube and a a feeding tube. Uh, And then they're raised in there and then they become firefighters and firefighters are heroes and i don't want to hear anything different firefighter <laughs> firefighter is like cop minus a, with no baggage yeah 100%. no baggage yeah it, it and it's got to be probably the number one you know we all know like in terms of getting laid yes and, and i'm going to circle back i just it goes curious, effem- you're, you're, effeminate stand-up comedian firefighter <laughs> right right masculine stand-up comedian fighter pilot fighter pilot cop <laughs> that's right <laughs> no um a sensitive question yeah your mom's deaf right yeah, yeah. when you bite a deaf woman <laughs> I'm, i knew you were going to go there right, and i'm the glad you're the sound finally... that comes out yeah. would that be different than me biting my mom that's a great question who's able-bodied and who I've bitten, actually. Well, so, what sound? Yeah. Then you can, can make, you so, can compare and I've bit, I've bit both mamas, and so I can, um, does a deaf scream sound different than a hearing scream is essentially the kernel of the question. And I guess the answer is yes. It, it does sound, it does sound a little bit different. I mean, the whole process of making sound mm-hmm. is, uh, is you know, you take it in when you're a baby, mm-hmm. and then you, you start to repeat it, and you start to, uh, so, so. The, the sound that deaf people make is not based on something that they have heard, but there are certain like uh, sounds that are innate to humans, right? Mm-hmm. Laughter mm-hmm. And, and screaming. These are innate sounds to the human. But I right. would say that it's maybe 10% different than a hearing scream. Right. I know I can feel you wanting me to do the scream. I can feel <laughs> that coming. Waiting. That energy is coming it's off of you. It's not me. It's the audience. <laughs> <laughs> they're writing in right now, right? That's right. <laughs> we don't even film live, and somehow they're writing in, <laughs> asking writing me to do it. I mean, you might get a kind of a vague kind of a... <gasps> so it uh-huh. sounds sort of... It's it's screamish. And then I, what would my mom sound like? Or what did she, my mom what, sound like? She said, uh, do you know Adam? <laughs> He's a comedian, too. Like my mom knows. I would assume it's different because aren't all of her other senses heightened? So she would actually feel the bite a lot more. Moshe's mom. Sense of touch. Oh, you think it hurts more when you bite a deaf person? Yeah. She's not daredevil, dude. uh, She feels it more. She probably probably knows she didn't floss that day. It's it's very sensitive. Well, I'll tell you this. As a young youth uh, that was uh, in lots of trouble and loved to drink and get high, 
um, my mother, well, I, there were advantages and disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sneaking out of the house, I wouldn't even call it sneaking. It was just leaving. We would just leave. We would put a boom box on and break dance down the stairs. My mom right. would be Could not hear wiser. you creeping out of the house. Not at all. But in terms of the, you know, when you used to drink and then you'd put like, you'd eat, put some uh, halls in your mouth or, or sen yeah. sen if you are from the 30s, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, my mother, there was, it was daredevil-like. My mom would, it would be like, she would be uh, doing like anthropology uh, of of the scent. She'd be like, I'm smelling a vague, I'm smelling a, a, a lemon ginger halls and underneath there's a, there's a top note of um, a malt liquor. There's a right. 40 ounce in there and definitely gin and juice. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that because women, even ones that are not deaf, have a very heightened sense of smell. Yes. Is that true? I, I, I've found, I have found women will walk in a room and make like an announcement. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, the last people stayed at this hotel, definitely smoked in this room, you know, or something's musty. There's a lot of, they're scent centric and they do it. It's probably built into them for some sort of survival thing. Right. Like I wonder they, what the evolutionary. They, they had to was. know if the meat was spoiled sure, or, or not. Right. So the kid wouldn't get poisoned mm. or something, but. Every woman I've ever been around will walk into the room and make some sort of announcement. Yeah. Will also do stuff like, you know, they'll go like, I'll go, where, where's my bathrobe? It's in the washing machine. I'll go, why? Oh, my God. It smelled it smelled like me. And to, you, you know, I mean, it's a bathrobe. <laughs> it's, it's a bathrobe. I'm not, I'm not going... To the Kentucky Derby in it. I'm uh, not going to offend anybody. It's a bathrobe. I want it to smell like me. Although, but it's like, oh, no, no, no. And and, and there's accusatory smells, too. They sure, know perfume. they know the drinking. They know the smoking smell. Sure. They know the other woman's perfume smell. Yeah, sure. They know the smell. Yeah. yeah. I think they can smell fear as well. Mm. I think that's what the primary things when they start smelling the accusatory smells, then they smell an undernote, a bouquet of fear begins right. to bloom. Once, right. Yeah, because they started the smelling yeah, process right. and then the guilt <laughs> kicks in. So your mom's smell, it was you hi- couldn't hyper. go to the yard and blow a doobie and then like come back into the no, house. She would smell everything. If I smoked a blunt, she would smell, uh, I smell a Philly wrapper and I smell <laughs> indica. That smells like indica. That, <laughs> right. Is that what that is? So I got away with with nothing and everything. I, right. And uh, and the trials and tribulations led me to kind of get to getting sober incredibly young, which is like the, the book is essentially my journey through the six subcultures that have created my life. And the first one in there is the 12 steps, young people's AA and rehab. And, and that's where I that's sort of where I started this kind of journey of life, I guess. Mm hmm. You know, I'm envious of guys like you and Bobcat mm-hmm. and uh, Greg Fitzsimmons and others who just had such a problem in their teens that they hung it up that early and now have put together decades of sobriety. Well, it, it, it has advantage. It's just like um, uh, the deafness. It has its advantages and disadvantages. It, I definitely had this experience of being a teenager and being uh, having like sort of jet packed out of, of the insanity and chaos of my young life. And, mm-hmm. and, but I also was this kid that was like trying desperately to figure out like how to have a good time and how to not like be judged by other kids and like how to figure out my journey in the universe. And that was what kind of led me to the, the next thing, which is when I started going to raves when I was 16, clean and sober going to raves, eventually became a DJ and a promoter and an ecstasy dealer. I'm one of the world's only clean and sober ecstasy dealers. Yeah. I mean, not to the, I don't do it to this day. I make, I make my living more through comedy than selling ecstasy. Yeah. When, what, uh, by the way, sober to rave just sounds 
like the most annoying night of anyone's <laughs> life. Listen, Adam, I don't know you that well, mm-hmm. but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and swing and say you weren't a big raver in the 90s. No, not big. I, medium. Did you go to some? Never been. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I looked low, at low medium. I looked at raves like you know, like like you know, like people go like, "Hey, ever had your girlfriend put a strap on on and plug you, peg you from behind?" I'd go, "No," and then they'd go, "Well, maybe," you're, and I'd go, "No, I'm, don't need to try it." I, yeah, I kind of know that's not my thing. Sure, I, I felt that way about raves. The, the music it's a, with a rave, they strap on a glow stick. Oh, and they <laughs> they, they peg, peg you with, yeah, with a glow stick. <laughs> well, your I first could ra- handle a glow stick. Sure, that's a nice that's a nice yeah, pegging I right there. The glow yeah, stick. they do have a hook at the end. And that's what you oh, don't want. Oh, the hook. Take it from right. me, guys. What you don't want during a pegging is a hook at the end. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You want a nice, clean, sort of progressive missile in there, but not, not a hook because they could grab your prostate and end up yep. taking it with them to the bathroom. Yeah. And then you have to wear it as an amulet around your neck from that oh. point on. I Yeah. Raves to me felt like people that needed too much stimulation, uh-huh. I think. I can see that. And I've always felt like people, like there's a lot of people go like, we're going to do mushrooms, we're going to do some acid, then we're going to Disneyland, we're going on the Matterhorn. And I'd be like, well, going on the Matterhorn is its own is, thing. Is it, uh, it, in a way, is a mushroom. Yeah, like, like, like the people go like, oh, man, my woman, she pops an Altoid in and then gives me a blowjob, you know? And I'm like, or you could just take the blowjob because that feels like enough. I because I've always felt like a blowjob is insufficient, and that mint is the only way to. Improve yeah, that's <laughs> I'm looking for mint. Even if she just puts a sprig of mint, uh, you know, between her uh, gums and cheeks. Sure. Well, you know, they say when they do that, your orgasm is curiously strong. <laughs> Guys, it's been great uh, to be great, here. Yeah. <laughs> Drop that mic on the floor. The uh, oh, I should say the uh, I should get the name of the book out there. Uh, Subculture Vulture, a, mem- a memoir, in six scenes, and it'll be available tomorrow as you as you hear this. Yeah. So, wh- what's cool about the book is that each oh, I'm very proud of this book because each each of the scenes is memoir, but it's also history. It's like comedic history. So we start mm-hmm. literally at the beginning of all of these subcultures and scenes. I go through the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and the rave scene, Burning Man, which I, I worked at Burning Man for 15 years, and last year was my 24th time. You want to talk about overstimulated? I've been at Burning Man 24 times, Hasidic Judaism and Judaism and uh, American Sign Language and Sign Language Interpreting. And then the the world that brings us together is stand-up comedy. And I do like a little history of each of those things and then talk about my years in them. What's Burning Man like, especially sober? See, I've only been, I always get these questions, what's X like sober? But my, my And the same thing, people say, what's it like having deaf parents? And it's, it's the same answer, which is, I don't know anything else. I've only mm-hmm. been there sober. So... It's exactly what you're describing, though. I've never been at Burning Man watching a woman on fire fall from a two-story silk uh, acrobatic performance in a, a deer antler that looks like the, uh, the the QAnon shaman and then stop herself two inches from hitting the floor and then spit out a plume of propane-addled fire and gone, mushrooms would make this a trip. Like, right. I'm always... Pre- it always feels like I'm pretty high there already. Right. What is the... 
clientele of Burning Man? Like, how has it changed from the old days till now? Is it corporate now? Well, they, the best quote I've heard about that is that Burning Man used to be a place where uh, weird people came to feel normal, and it's slowly become a place where normal people come to feel weird. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really good summation. When I went yeah. for the first time in 96, I was 16 years old, Oh my god! and I just heard there was a rave in the desert, and that was like enough for me to pack up a car and drive six hours into the desert. And it was... When I got there, I got out of the car and I was like, I don't know what this is, but it is not a rave. It is like Mad Max meets a hippie festival, meets a rave, meets a lot of DMT, meets violence, fire. There were drive-by shooting ranges and drag queen nuns and they were setting buildings on fire. People were people died. Drive-by shooting ranges. There would be like targets and people right. would be driving in their car and shooting. You could do a drive-by. Yeah, well, because it has this libertarian and had, I would say it's maybe shrinking, but it had this libertarian bent to it too you Mm -hmm. know in the old days libertarianism and art like punk art were kind of mixed up together yeah and and so it was dangerous and crazy and then now it's uh still the wildest thing i do all year but it's a lot softer there's a lot more edges and rules around it because people have died over the years and people have caught themselves on fire running into the man and they've done every bad thing that could have happened has happened and they have made rules to try to mitigate that Mm. um so it's less wild and it's less extreme but it's still i think the most fun i have all year Mm. and how many days are you there for well i used to go when i worked there i used to go i would go for upwards of a a month i would work i would go out there before the city was even built you're a guard right i was well i was i worked at a department called the gate and what we did at the gate was we would search every vehicle that was coming in Mm -hmm. and uh and we would it was a lot of fun because the people at the gate were the kind of like punk rock clowns of of the event of the staff Mm -hmm. and we would do we would have like a lot of fun we would you know people would you know, vehicles wouldn't be allowed to come in and we would like, we would take their little go-karts and ride them around or we were, our job was to find stowaways basically. Like the border. You should have had your mom out there sniffing it out. (laughs) That's so right. She she wouldn't have to take the trunk lid off. She'd just be like... Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. We could smell the hippies. I didn't. You don't need superhuman <laughs> smell to be able to smell the hippies. Well, contraband. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Is... Actually, speaking of the border, there was one one of the um, the craziest stories that ever happened up at the gate was a guy came in. We we had been informed that this vehicle matching this description had stowaways in it, and he pulls up. And he's like smiling, dude. He's like, hey, how you doing? Super calm. And we start to search the vehicle because we had been told there's people in this vehicle. He's picking up people on the side of the road. And we searched for hours. What kind of car? It was like a big kind of cargo vanny kind of thing. Uh-huh. And it's filled with stuff. And we searched for hours and, um, and nothing. Couldn't find it. Didn't find it. Uh, and nothing. It's, he's smiling, cool as a cucumber, this guy. And finally, after and we couldn't just let him go because we'd said this vehicle has the people. Like, and at like three hours into the search, somebody put their hand into like a crevice and found a latch and pulled the latch. And the whole this whole like like almost Disney like artifice of a, like a set mm-hmm. popped open, and there was a chamber with all these like you know shivering, scared ravers and hippies inside. <laughs> wow. And we go, what the fuck? And then we look, we go, we found the guys and the guy's like, oh yeah, cool. Like super cool. And we go, how are you so calm right now? Like we just busted you. And the guy's like, this, this is nothing. I'm a coyote at the border. (laughs) That's what I use this vehicle for. Normally it's a federal offense. This is, I just was trying to make some extra money getting these hippies into this festival. Coyote. He was a real coyote that was just like moonlighting as a rave smuggler. (laughs) Well, if you, you know, go to the pros, you know what I mean? Exactly. Although we were the real pros because we... 
We caught him. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had intel. Yeah, you were tipped. I remember there was another time uh, this guy shows up. He was really, he had a, like, it was almost an armored car looking thing. Mm-hmm. And there were, uh, there were, it was very official looking. Mm-hmm. And he had cameras affixed to all these different areas on the, on the vehicle. And he shows up and he goes, uh, hi, I'm with the federal marshals. Um, and I have a chain of custody. I need to deliver a warrant to someone inside of the, inside of the event, chain of custody, chain of, he keeps saying the words chain of custody. Uh-huh. And I go, I don't, I don't know what that, okay. Uh, do you have a ticket? He's like, no, but chain of custody. You understand that he heard that mm-hmm. he starts showing us paperwork. So I call my supervisors up and I'm like, this guy keeps saying chain of custody is a marshal. I, I, and they're like, I, I, th- these are just burnouts like me. You know, right. these aren't like, my supervisors aren't like, uh, you know, crack agents. They're like right. just other Burning Man people. Like, I, I think we need to let him in. And I go, well, can we search the vehicle? He's like, oh, no, I can't open the back chamber. You know, chain of custody. It's a federal offense. You guys are FBI, chain of custody, CIA. And I go, I'm sorry, like. My, my bosses go, let him in. I go, I don't think you can just show up to Burning Man and say the words chain of custody and just get in. I don't right. think it works like that. Right. And they let me send him away. I go, sorry, dude, like, can't, can't, no can do. Like, mm-hmm. you got to go. And he goes, chain of custody. Uh, the Justice Department's on its way. And he turns around and drives off. And about 10 minutes later, I was in a truck going up to the highway to go run an errand. And I see my agent on the side of the road, the back chamber totally open, this like Cirque du Soleil looking woman climbing out. There's pots and pans and like a, a bed a bedroll and shit. And I go, I'm like, this guy, it looked so official. But clearly this guy was just <laughs> some guy in Reno who had like some meth, a TIG welder and a plan and told right. this beautiful woman, I can definitely get us into Burning Man. How, how much did it cost to get into Burning Man? And that people would go to these extreme measures. Well, at the beginning, there you, it didn't used to sell out. It used to you used to be able to buy tickets at at the at the you event. Could get them. So that was fun. We had like a game that we would play. If we would if we would you know stick our hand into a couch and we'd feel a hippie arm, you mm-hmm. know, and we'd sort of yank the guy out and he'd be in there all folded up. <laughs> right. You know, we'd go if he was cool. If he goes, oh brother, you caught me. Right. Like I'm so sorry, I'm an idiot. Then we would just sell him a ticket at face value and send him in. But right. if he was an asshole, if he was like, I don't know why you guys are charging in the first place. Freedom, right, freedom, right, brother. Right, then we right. would start to assess an asshole tax and. <laughs> Asshole tax would would be commensurate to how big of an asshole the guy was, and yes. eventually it would be you know two thousand whatever the guy would pay, and then the event started to sell out. I think that was in like two thousand and ten. I think it started selling out, and then the work became a lot less fun. It became like being a cop. It just yeah. became like and I and I I had this moment where I had caught this old hippie sneaking in there's like a dust storm and he just decided to make a run for it and i was like running next to him like uh um uh the uh you know like sort of mad max style like right. i'm trying to laugh this hippie and he's running right. out of energy and i finally stop him and we sit down and he's begging me to let him in. and he's like near tears and he's like mm-hmm. a grandfather mm-hmm. and i was just like what what is this work like this was fun because my thing is like when i get into one of these worlds like i want to own it you mm-hmm. know i want to like be the king i want to like I fall in love with this thing. It's like a, a, a door opens up and I walk into a portal to a universe where I found my people and I've got superpowers and I want to be part of the magic. You know, mm-hmm. I want to work at the Emerald City, you know. Mm-hmm. But then that magic, when you become a professional, the same kind of true in comedy. Like the further into the comedy industry you get, the more you go like, ugh, this is there's ugliness to this that I didn't necessarily see when I was an open micer. You know, I just thought about my dreams. I didn't think about like the grind or whatever. Well, I, everything becomes a business at at some point, you know, totally every 
young boy dreams of playing in the NBA and they're the king of the schoolyard and so on and so forth. And then at some point they're in the NBA and now they have to defend China. Yeah. And it's like they're sitting <laughs> yeah, there yeah, exactly. defending China. And it's like, I just started off when I was 14 and I was out in the playground and the dreams were so pure. Right. You know? And they're like, don't you think you're a role model to the youth? You're like, I was the youth. I just wanted to get out and get, make make a living. Yeah, I, I mean, sadly, you know, every small craft beer company gets bought by Anheuser-Busch, yep. and then the next thing you know, there's a bunch of rules that come back from the corporate. But it started as two dudes with beards and a passion and a barrel. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And at some point, corporate has sent a bunch of shit that, that mandates. But it can only go that way. Like, it, uh, you know, totally. it has to go that way. I mean— Tailhook was a convention. You know where the name Tailhook comes from? Wait, isn't Tailhook the, is that the Air Force thing? Yeah. Tailhook comes from guys who would land jet planes on aircraft carriers and they'd hook the tail. Uh -huh. they're, they're tail hookers, you know what I mean? And that's a pretty... Elite. I know a different kind of tail hooker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the glow stick. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's a small group of dudes who have had the experience of landing an F-14 on an aircraft carrier at night. You know what I mean? There's only a handful of those dudes. And they're all in San Diego. So they get together and they go to, I don't know, Tijuana and they raise a little hell. Sure. But before you know it, it's in Las Vegas and there's 2,000 people and they're having the tail hookers convention, you know, and there's set up and there's guys merchandise and that's what everything turns into. A hundred percent. And that's sort of in a way what happened to Burning Man, what's happened to the rave thing, happened to every world that I've lived in other, uh, other than, you know, the worlds that are more kind of like close to my core, you know, the, the deafness and the Judaism and the stand-up. Stand-up is... Because I put so much time into the comedy world, it's like there's no option of like leaving. You know, right. I'm I'm here, and so I have to find like this way to alchemize the the changing feeling that I have in those worlds into something that feels more permanent. But um, but Burning Man, you know, it, it definitely has that feeling of like a thing that is is riding on its own fumes of magic. But it's had so much magic to begin with that I actually still think it's a it's a worthwhile endeavor. I think it's still worth going to. It's definitely. Definitely, still the the wildest the wildest time I ha have all year for sure. Yeah, um, Harlan Williams said the same. He's go he's tomorrow's guest, and he went. Oh, Harlan is Burning Man. He is His mind, man. he doesn't need to go to Burning Man. <laughs> um, all right, so I have a funny uh, conversation with Mike August, who books. Uh, he does the shows. He travels. He does everything. Um, but Mike August is one of these guys who says things that probably may have may not have happened or be true sure uh -huh. <laughs> and then he focuses then he doubles down on it and um i go through my life i have a conversation with dr drew three times a week where i go what is up with everyone just go i don't know we've had this conversation uh -huh. here a million times a million people just go i don't know or let me check don't go here's what because now i'm at your mercy when you do the here's what uh-huh so Mike books all the travel stuff, <clears throat> or he's involved uh, with the travel stuff. So we're going out, and this is last weekend, and it's it's a little hectic. It's uh, Vegas, it's Colorado, it's another part of Colorado, it's 
flights and its times and its shows and, and everything else. So I, and then, so it starts off with me saying, we're leaving Denver at like 8.45 in the morning or 9 in the morning or whatever. And uh, where are we landing? Because we're leaving Burbank, which is close to where we are. Uh-huh. Uh, and he goes, we're leaving Denver and we land in LAX. And I go, oh, man, LAX. Huh. So you're going to meet me here and then we're going to leave out of Burbank. But we're landing at LAX. Yeah, and for those listening that don't know LAX, in terms of human suffering, I would say it goes war, That's right. famine, landing in LAX. That's right. And then after that, it would be like abuse from your family. Yeah. A feminine comedian, yeah. male comedian, <laughs> firefighter. <laughs> yeah. The it, most desirable lover on earth <laughs> is definitely a, a private plane out of Burbank. Yeah. Yeah. So LAX is a big hassle, big, not only in general, but now. Our cars are here in Burbank. So now I'm going through the machinations. I'm going, well, we can't do what we normally do, which is we just leave here and we drive to Burbank and we valet the car. And then we just land and pick up the car and we're done. Right. You, you know, know what I mean? mean? That's the easiest. Back. That's yeah. the easiest. Uh. But now there will be no valet. So I'm, I'm like, okay, we're going to have to Uber from here to Burbank. And then we're going to have to go back to LAX. And then we're going to have to Uber back here. Because this is where the cars would be. The if we oh, yeah. And you're missing, a, you're, you're missing a step, too, which is that LAX no longer, you have to do like a, yeah. a hike, like a sort of a, a, a movement of people, kind yes. of a refugee march yes. from yes. the yeah. terminal you to the Uber. You have to use that coyote guy to get you <laughs> into the Uber corral. That's right. We're going to be stowaways in this custom van. Or you just run like that old hippie as fast as you can through a dust storm to get there. Right. So a lot of callbacks in this show. I like it. So I'm like, I'm walking through my neighborhood, and I'm like, God damn it, LAX. And then I have this thought, which is the thought I have all the time, which is, wait a minute, there's no flights from Denver to Burbank? I feel like Southwest just goes back and forth to Denver and Burbank like all day. And it's like, and Mike chimes in, not without a couple of layovers. You know, you have to stop in Dallas or you have to go to Portland or something. And I'm like, God damn it. it. But it's got to be, there's got to be something. So then... I uh, hang up and I call Emmy in the next room who makes all the travel arrangements. And I go, listen, man, LAX, not going to, we got to figure out a way to avoid LAX. Find (laughs) something that goes from Denver to Burbank. And he goes, I'm away. I'm I'm, I'm driving. I'm away from my computer, whatever. But when I get home, I'll, I'll figure it out. So then I have so much angst that I get home. And I start g- looking on the computer. Uh-huh. And I find a JetSuite X flight. Those are go- great. And it goes Denver to Burbank. And it's like 10 in the morning. Uh-huh. And I go, I call Mike. And I go, Mike, this is going to work. We could go JetSuite X, Denver to Burbank Sunday morning at 10 in the morning. Perfect. And he goes, uh-uh, JetSuite X doesn't fly to Denver, flies out of Boulder or, or whatever. It's it's It says... Denver, but it's not the Denver airport. Mm. It's the Boulder airport. And we got to drop the rental car off at Denver airport. So now we're going to drop the rental car off Sunday morning. When How are we getting back to Boulder then? And I'm like, I go, okay, listen, scrub the rental car. Maybe we land in Denver on Saturday and we take an Uber to the hotel, to the performance where I'm performing, which is, <clears throat> and, and it's, it's, it's where they 
Great film The Shining. Shining, Park, Shining right. Yeah. And then Mike goes, I'm from Denver. You, you would have to hire a mountain car. Like, a, a, it's an hour and a half drive. It's a mountain, like, limousine. Oh, he's making up vehicles in real <laughs> yeah. time. It's like, oh, no, goes, you got you you to get a, a Matador. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you're going to need a mountain car, and it's going to be, you know, 200 bucks, like, each way. And I'm like, God, okay, how much is the rental car then? If the rental car is 400 bucks, and we should scrap the rental car, get the mountain car, see if there's such a thing as an Uber from the Denver airport all the way up the, the mountain to the, to the resort where I'm playing, you know, Saturday night. And let's get on all of this stuff. And uh, Emmy, figure it out. I need a flight wow. back to Burbank. And uh, about two hours later, I get, a, I get an email from Emmy. And he goes, uh, oh, you guys are going into Burbank. You've always been going into Burbank. We made, <laughs> we made the tickets. We, t- we, we, we got the tickets uh, two oh. months ago. And there then was, I go. LAX was never, 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 never. Interesting. Never. Wow. And then I called Mike and I said, "Oh, and Mike replied to the email. Good news. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> hey, great. It's great. See. And then you I, mean I was wrong? Yeah. yeah. It, that wasn't involved. No. <laughs> so then I said, uh, Mike, listen to me. I just went on a two-hour angst-filled fucking odyssey about all the machinations of getting." Not getting to LAX or how we get from LAX. I became a travel agent. And uh, he goes, hey, I didn't have the itinerary in front of me. I go, (laughs) okay, but don't, then don't say anything, Mike. Say, I'll check. Yeah, well, I didn't have the itinerary. I go, yeah, I know. I know. I'm not, you can say, I don't know. And then we'll call Emmy and he'll go, yeah, you guys are going into Burbank. But you said LAX and then we went on on a journey. That included Emmy, who thought it was LAX, too, because he made the tickets two months ago. And I told him, we're landing at LAX. Now it's me with the, out, with the yeah. dis and misinformation. So it's fine. Mike keeps moving. Uh-huh. You know, no apologies. No, you, I, I, no gut check time. You have lost a few days off your life right. because of this ordeal. Then uh, when I'm driving in, um, the other day I go, driving in, and I go, uh, so... Then I go, okay, what's the rest of the trip? And he goes, well, we leave Vegas at uh, 10.30 in the morning. we got to have a desert car for that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely going to have to. Yeah, half track. <laughs> like one of Hitler's cars. You know? Oh, yeah, you know, it's one of the, the, the Nazi motorcycles. Yeah. And you're in the little sidecar. You've yeah. got your goggles on. That actually is something I would pay to see. So Same. he goes, we're leaving at 10.30. And I go, oh, man, what, you know, we're leaving out of Terminal 1. And I go, man, they got the Centurion Lounge there. I can get into the Centurion Lounge. It's awesome. You go in. Coke. It's got all the food. and I've all. been there. They have Coke there. Cocaine? Yeah, they have cocaine and prostitutes. It's a great it's lounge. It's great. Only the Vegas one. That's the right. Utah one. <laughs> right. Not as much. Yeah. Well, you pray in that one to right. forgive you for what happened in the Vegas lounge. <laughs> I go, oh, man, open bar, tons of food. That's awesome. But... I will be doing a second show in Vegas, and we're not going to get back to the hotel till 12, 1230 at night. So, I mean, we're going to kind of set our alarm to get to that lounge at, you know, 930 in the morning or whatever. It's probably worth it, but I'm, I'm going over all the machinations uh-huh. of that. I'll go, all right, we'll just get up early. We'll check out early. We'll get to the, get to the whatever. So then I'm talking to him a few days later, and I go, okay. He goes, the travel times line up perfectly. I go, really? He goes, yeah, we're, we're leaving Vegas at noon, and uh, we'll be able to hang out in that lounge. I said, 
Mike, you said 1030. He goes, yeah, I didn't have the itinerary in front of me. I go, but, but Mike, then don't say anything. This is a day later. I like goes, this. This is goes, like, it's scheduled jazz. Then he gets, then he gets, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's like, hey, maybe we're leaving at this time. <laughs> it really is. It's schedule, free form, yeah. jazz riffing. He's Beautiful. jamming. You're, you're trying to squelch his artistic process, actually. You're right. So then he goes, I didn't have, I go, Mike. Don't say anything. Just go, I'll check the schedule. He goes, you ask me a question, I give you an answer. That's literally what he said. I said, yeah, Mike, uh, but not the wrong answer. I don't, I'm not at, you asked. That's actually. You a- asked the question. I like when Mike digs in. Mm-hmm. You've seen it. We've all seen it. He's wrong. It's beautiful. And he's digging in now, which I- is. I- it's like a metaphor for our modern time, though, actually. It's like, that. Uh, what? give me an answer. Yeah, I don't need any information to have an answer. I, You're right. I just turn on uh, the, the front-facing camera on my iPhone, and I just start talking. Information is not needed. It's just talking. I know. So then I repeat once again to Mike or to anyone who will listen to me anytime, please just say, I don't know. Yeah. Let me check. Or I feel like it could be this, but I can't. I don't rightly know. So let me double check or find that itinerary. It's written down somewhere. It's it's somewhere. I don't I don't have it because uh, we haven't got the itinerary worked out yet, and it's my fault because I always just say to people, I ask them, and they give me an answer, and then it's completely wrong, and they have no problems with it, and then I go, don't do that anymore, and they go, okay, and then they just roll right into the next day. <laughs> right. It's like that um, that quote: insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting mm-hmm. different results. It's they could update it to be insanity is asking Mike for a scheduling question and expecting <laughs> good information. At some point, it comes back to me. Yeah, Mike cannot go, answer these questions for you. Do you do this? <laughs> and I go, this happens to me all the time. They go, I go, I told somebody something, they didn't do it, and then they go, well, you should have sent an email, so you made sure. And I go, I know, but at a certain point, you have to be able to just say to someone, do this. Or what about that? And then you communicate, and then you have an answer. Or society completely breaks down. If I have to hire a stenographer and a guy with a time, you know, a current newspaper, so we can get the date down, and then record you and explain that you're under oath, and say to you like 26 times, "Are you sure?" Then we have no more society. Right. Yeah. Well, I think AI is the answer to what you're mm. uh, you're oh. questioning. You need to make a friend with AI. AI August. Mm. AI August could give you much better information than Mike August. I can tell you that right. <laughs> Well, that was interesting. Now, it's funny, when the answer ends up being what you want it to be, all is forgiven, which is weird. It's like- When you heard Burbank, you were like, I love you, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, and when I heard Noon, when I heard Noon and me for another hour in the Centurion Lounge, I was like, I love you, bro. And it's like, it's like if anyone, if anyone ever- if you're ever searching frantically for your wallet or your keys or something and you're just fucking turning the house over and looking through the sofa cushions like a stowaway for Burning Man yes. and going down to your car and like tracing your steps and stuff. And then at some point, your roommate or your wife or something goes, oh, yeah, I took your keys and I just set a sombrero on top of it. I got them and they hold them out. You go, God, oh, my keys. No, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, you're so fucking happy to have your shit back or the way you want it. You don't have much ire for the person that fucked your shit up. Right. Plus, if it's under a sombrero, it's kind of delightful, too. You know, yeah. it's kind of a fun fiesta. You put the sombrero on, you grab your keys, you shake them a little <laughs> bit. So let's see. Natasha Leggero, your wife. She is. Who I know pretty well. 
actually from what's it sound like shows. when you bite her <laughs> it's very it's faint because yeah. she's such a, <laughs> such a small person uh it was it was all over tmz that she took her top off right. while performing yeah. at the improv the yeah. other the other day the other week and uh i guess people go well a lot of husbands would have thoughts about that well, you know, nobody asked me. You know, TMZ called her and said, how did you feel about what you did? Nobody, where was TMZ asking me how I felt about what she did? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, I, to be honest with you. I think, I think we should tease this. I think we should take a break. I think we should tease the answer and maybe even do some news in the next break. Moshe's got a, an out. So uh, we'll, we'll be respectful of that. But I think we should. I got a call with a, with a certain kind of attorney pretty soon. Really? We'll talk about it when we come back from the break. Tease on a tease, and we'll be right back in two and two. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. And this is Dr. Drew. We are changing things up for the new year, and we want you to end the week with the two of us. That's right. Brand new episodes now on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of each week. So sequentially, thank you and mahalo. Morgan and Morgan, it's 2024, so let's talk about something important. If you get hurt this year, your injury could be worth millions. If you're ever injured, you can check out Morgan and Morgan, America's largest injury law firm. Over 100 offices nationwide and more than 1,000 lawyers. More than $20 billion recovered for 500,000-plus clients. Morgan and Morgan. Has a proven track record of fighting to get you full and fair compensation. They've been fighting for the people for over 35 years. Look, racing my vintage cars, that can be hard. Or at least I make it look hard. Submitting an injury claim with Morgan & Morgan, why, that's easy. Morgan & Morgan, right, Dawson? If you're ever injured, you can check out Morgan & Morgan. Their fee is free unless they win. For more information, go to ForThePeople.com slash Adam or dial pound law, pound 529 from your cell phone. That's F-O-R-ThePeople.com slash Adam or pound law, pound 529 from your cell. This is a paid advertisement. But I did get into a small fight with a hippie recently. I was just explaining to her my theory that part of the process of becoming an adult is admitting to herself that the doors were a shitty band. <laughs> she got super mad at me. This hippie girl was like, don't you say that about Jim Morrison. He's like a god to me. I visited his grave. I was like, first of all, strange thing to say out loud <laughs> in front of people with opinions, but also not even a true story that's not a true story because Jim Morrison doesn't have a grave anymore because of people like her. He used to be buried in this famous Parisian cemetery where tons of French luminaries were buried and Oscar Wilde and stuff, but so many annoying hippies went to his grave on pilgrimage to like leave an armpit hair offering that they exhumed his body and moved it to an undisclosed location to a place where a hippie could never find it, like a shower. Underneath a stack of job applications. Moshe Kasher is on the Adam Carolla Show. Yeah, I've been to his grave. Have you really? Yeah. I was in Paris. I went to the catacombs, which aren't that far. You know, tunnels filled Love with skulls. Yeah, and that's a cool uh, place. And uh, you go through there, and then the, the graveyard's not, not, too, not too far. So we made the... Uh, Pilgrimage, And I, I agree with you on The Doors. I mean, they're really interesting band, and they did some really interesting stuff, but uh, you don't have to worship at the altar. The I, 
That's an old. I haven't heard that joke in so long. That is the I, that is the first joke that I ever got hate mail for in my career because that was really? early, very early on in my career that uh, that that was televised, and I had people writing my fr- and it was at the time when I was so vulnerable as a as a comedian. I thought like this could destroy me if one <laughs> one letter to my agent he could stop working with me. Mm-hmm. And this woman goes, "I will never. I love the Doors. I listened to them all through the '60s, and I will never go to another Moshe Kasher show." I'm like, "How many have you been to? It doesn't <laughs> right. seem possible that the Venn diagram." But no, I like the Doors. It's just a joke, guys. So, uh, divorce attorney? Divorce attorney, yeah. I was furious. I was fucking pissed. I said, those are mine, and in the (laughs) marriage contract, I own them titties. No, I'll be honest with you. The worlds that I inhabited... Were you there? I was not there. I was not. Probably good. Yeah, I mean, listen... Burning Man, Raves, the, my upbringing in the Bay Area, raised by a hippie mother. I, right. I mean, I don't care at all. I, it, it, I thought it was cool. I thought it was like kind of punk rock. I thought it was a kind of like a – she's like – I was very – I was impressed. To me, what I saw was a, um, like a person that was having fun on stage. And I think like mm-hmm. that's to me – that's that's the secret sauce of stand-up is when you can yeah. be 20 years into it and still make a wild decision in the moment to like just – Throw caution to the wind and bust your titties out. Supportive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to do a headlining set soon uh, where I bend over, pull my pants down, and the glow stick begins to uh, throw. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. another callback for the listeners. Yeah, I think you got to pull out one nut for your next show <laughs> just because turnabout is fair play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll see how she feels about the one nut. No, there was no part of me that was like, I mean, I'm just not like that. I think I nudity doesn't doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, mm. I, I think it's like a... Yeah, I was impressed. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I mean, again, your upbringing, where you were brought up geographically, the raves and the, certainly the Burning Mans, you've seen enough. I titties. saw nude American Sign Language reinterpretations in modern dance to Cindy Lauper's True Colors my entire childhood. You know, right. I mean, fire dancers and hot tub hippies. I, I, It's all grist for the mill to me. Yeah, nothing mm-hmm. phases you anymore. Well, some things definitely <laughs> phase me. If I had a friend like Mike, I would be very upset. <laughs> I'm just saying things like nudity and stuff i just feel like everybody's so uptight about everything and i th- and nothing matters i sort of feel like we're at the point and you're saying society's gonna fall apart it's fallen and it's so done. so i'm like fuck it like who cares about anything have fun can you when you see sign language yeah. people sign language people i mean interpreters yeah sign language yeah they're they're they they cropped up strong during covid because every governor and every right. mayor was given a speech and there's a person next to them yeah are you picking it apart are you reading it oh absolutely are you finding fault in it oh you would be you would be astounded at how bad some of the interpreters on a level on that level of of importance this is where i'm going yeah yeah you would be astounded how bad some of them are I mean, yeah. like unintelligible bad. And not, I'm not talking about like the Nelson Mandela lady where she was like a, a hustler and a con artist and mm-hmm. was just doing a, another interpretation of True Colors. I'm talking about real sign language interpreters that you look at and you go, no one watching this could possibly know there's a hurricane coming into <laughs> town. Right. I mean, you're you're fluent. I am fluent. And this is not... I mean, look, I used to be a carpenter. Mm-hmm. I walk into people's houses all the time. They go, look, it's just beautiful remount. I go, this is shit. Yeah. Because I have the Your eye. Your child is going to be under a two by four suit. Yes. Yeah. I, I see that 100%. It's so frustrating. My, I, it was so frustrating because I not only, on a sincere note, I mean, it's funny on one level, but on a sincere note, I also spent my life, my young life especially, um, in a meeting 
that would be high stakes and watching the interpreter tell my mother something and watch my mother not be able to understand like life or death information was being translated to her. When Mosh, I was Moshe's gay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, she's a counselor. She's like, I know. Uh, but Wait, the, find my bit. I have a sign language bit that just broke out spontaneously and I'm curious for you to hear oh, it. Oh, I'd love but, to hear it. Um, yeah, but yes. One more thing is when I was young, before the Americans with Disabilities Act passed, or maybe it passed, but they just weren't taking it seriously, there would often not be an interpreter at all for meetings that with my mother. And I was, as mm-hmm. every child that has deaf parents, I was tasked with the, the duty of interpreting for my mother, right. for my mother's appointments. And then when I started to get in trouble, I would start to be tasked with the, with the job of interpreting for my mother's appointments that were about me. Oh. Gone were the days, the, the mm. salad days of yore where it was like yeah. the fun stuff, just right. interpreting for her gynecological appointments. Now, <laughs> yeah. I had to Italy. interpret about what a piece of shit I was. Right. And you have to do this kind of creative thing when you're doing yeah. that because you don't want to give over really how big of a piece of shit you are. But you also can't be like, we think he's great because you'd be like, well, why'd you call me here today? So you no. have to do a kind of an interpretive, like, he's not great, but he really does show potential and we like him a lot but we also think now mike did that to me today he goes oh i said we were maybe leaving around 10 30 i was like mike you just said 10 30 you can't can't fluff you can't pat it with both sides yeah i love when people go back and sort of soft sell like i yeah i said we might be leaving somewhere in the neighborhood (laughs) at 10 30 it's like nope you just said 10 30 that's all do you know how sign language began oh i have a question for you before this yes i had this argument with dr drew Mm mm-hmm so you may hate him even more than you do. Already. I don't hate him. I have no feelings. Well, that's that's not a way to feel about Dr. No, Drew. I mean, I, I know. Okay, I like I'll Dr. Drew. Drew. I like him. him. I like, no, I like him. No feelings. All right. Um, <laughs> zero. Dead. Dead. <laughs> no, no. Dead I didn't mean like that. All right. So Dr. Drew was pissed off during all COVID because they, they run the closed caption thing. Uh-huh. And I was I was same thing, too. Like, just run. It's just a caption. Read what the Governor Newsom is saying. Why is the chick with the yeah. black turtleneck have to be there? Oh, so they're having captions and they're having a, a sign language interpreter. No. They have a sign language interpreter, but you can hit the caption on your TV. You so why, why the interpreter if right. you can have captions? And it was captions. explained to me that American sign is its own language. That's right. Yeah. And I'm like. I kind of respect, eh. but on pro- the other hand, it's it's just the words of what's coming out of the governor's uh-huh. mouth, yeah. and she's flawed, as we figured out. Yeah, yeah, sure. So why is my taxpayer dollars going to her when you can just read what's on the bottom, scrolling on the bottom of the set? Well, it's a it's a it's a hustle and a scam, and it's one that I respect. Uh, right. And because I get paid about five percent for every time you see one of those wow. interpreters, five percent. So no, well, I can explain. Big. I can yeah, ex- explain. I can explain this to you in a way that I think will make you sympathetic to it. Mm-hmm. I have heard uh, the analogy in in. Uh, uh, a book called uh, Seeing See, Seeing Voices, uh, Oliver Sacks' book. I think I might have gotten the name wrong. That when a, a deaf person learns English without sign, it's like teaching you Japanese from inside of a soundproof booth by just showing you flashcards of Japanese characters. Right? Uh-huh. So that um, that process of of English acquisition is uh, impossible. It's impossible, and yeah. so. So what happens is that sign language, American sign language, is not a translation of English, as you said. It's its its own language with its own system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of deaf people, for better or for worse, um, are not are not 
competent are not sufficient in English reading skills to get this important information. Uh-huh. And the American sign language, a lot of deaf people are. A lot of deaf people are bilingual. They know English super well and they know American sign language super well. But that interpreter is not there for the person who could read the caption and get all the information that they need. That interpreter is there for the person who, for whatever reason, uh, maybe they, they weren't raised in, in a good school system. Maybe they're an immigrant, so they didn't learn English at all when they got here. And then they're deaf and they learn sign language when they get here. It's for the person who needs that information that could not get it through the captions. They w- it would be Greek to them. I respect that. But that person needs to get their shit together. <laughs> I, I don't want to have, at some point, you got to read a book, bro. All right. So uh, you're going to I'll I'll play you this. Oh, yeah. I want to hear this. Now, so the origins of this bit is I was just back. I was at Wise Guys. I don't know where I was. And I was backstage and someone said to me, there's a sign language person uh-huh, yeah. out there. And I was like, oh, I should do something. Let me torture this professional. Yeah. But I and tell me if you think it's feasible. Okay. It okay. Work. All right. Do a little experiment here. Because he, he's got to say everything I say. Oh, she, sorry, there's a pole blocking us, but she has to say everything. Well, okay, first things first. This whole COVID thing has made these sign language guys think they're superstars, right? <laughs> Every motherfucking press conference I've seen in the last two years, there's some dickwad with a black turtleneck, his mouth is moving, his hands are flying around. <laughs> And there's a theme with these assholes because they cannot express themselves through the majesty of dress like I do. Like I'm a peppy dresser. People know I've arrived. You can't sit there dressed like Prince in some kind of paisley cardigan or something and do sign language. They all have to wear black turtleneck sweaters. So they express themselves through having crazy fucking hair and weird beards, and then they sit there next to Gavin Newsom or Como, and they're just like piling away. Um, but anyway, back to the experiment. Yeah, that's not the bit, but we'll get to the bit. Why don't we do this? I'm gonna break off from doing the sign for the show that Adam Carolla is doing right now. He's just a bloated has-been. I see him on Tucker Carlson talking shit all day. Fuck this guy. If we had somebody in here, like if Janine Garofalo or Patton Oswalt was on stage, I'd sign my ass off. But I totally disagree with that Corolla. I hate his fucking politics. His takes on COVID got people killed. And I'm not going to stand here and parrot all of his jokes using my hands. And by the way, the jokes. Do you really need to hear them again? Blah, blah, blah. Red turn eras. Blah, blah, blah. I hate my mom. We get it. We get it. You're an old, washed-up sack of shit. But let me direct something toward you. I gotta say, I've never seen a better looking man (laughs) who is hearing impaired, and I've seen them all. Signing is a very lonely job. I'm out here on an island. I come home to three cats that don't care. 
I long to be held by a man. A man who understands me. A man I could communicate with even if he can't communicate. My apartment is less than five minutes from this club. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a professional. But when the show ends, I let my hair down. And I cease being a sign language interpreter, and I become a woman. <laughs> you think I can use my hands? <laughs> Where do you see what I can do with my mouth? Now I could stand up here for another 51 minutes signing whatever this racist blowhard's yapping out of his fucking soup cooler. Or we could blow this taco stand, get a couple of drinks, and be up in my apartment in the next half hour. What do you say? I know you're parked up front. <laughs> All right, now, what, did she have to do everything I said? She did, in fact, have to do everything you said. Did you talk to her afterwards? No. Oh, and you just beeline for the exit. I ran. I mean, well, they I probably I, are living happily ever after. You now. know what the thing is? Like, to me, I mean, obviously that was very funny. Um, and you didn't do what I expected you to do, which is just have them sign blowjob 15 times. Yeah, everyone uh, always cusses. It gets yeah. real vulgar and thinks it's funny. And the audience will laugh, but I think find an angle. Yeah, I I, uh, I wonder as if I wonder if she minded and if she didn't i bet she didn't mind i bet she thought it was funny mm. and i bet she had it to me what i'm looking at there is like uh, a, a a smashing together of two of the universes that i live in like that's <laughs> what this book is about really is this like these worlds that don't belong together kind of like coming together through me mm -hmm. and like i for me personally i love it because it's like that's stand up and that's sign language and they're kind of mushed together in this way that i love that you made fun of yourself too i mean listen uh I, I loved I loved the uh, all the self-effacingness because I did expect you to just say like, "Hey, how do you sign eat pussy?" And so 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 I give it I give it a I give it a, a pass. But I'm not That's, irresponsible. Really, who's responsible is that woman. That was a Reese's peanut butter cup for you. That was signing and language, sign language and comedy stand up. If there could have been a, if there could have been a techno beat behind it, somehow, <laughs> yeah. you know, and just yeah. a, an old guy saying we don't drink no matter what. Man, my life would have been per and a yarmulke. Yeah. My life would have been perfect. That's the book. Yeah. Yeah, that is the book. Uh, I know you got an out. Yeah, I gotta go. Um, I wish you, I could stay. This is so fun. You got a couple more minutes? Yeah, I got a couple more minutes. You have five minutes? We do a news story? Let's do a news story. All right, let's do a news story. Um, all right, yeah. So let's do... Um, there's, so there's a lot going on with college mascots right now, like some Oklahoma uh, University fraternity guys. They, uh, they try to do a prank where they put a dead longhorn in another frat's... Really? Lawn. Yeah, they got arrested for A dead it. cow? A dead cow. But um they Texas. did they looked yeah. into it and they said that the cow had died from disease. They didn't they didn't kill the cow, but they, mm -hmm. they were pressed. But um and then Georgia, their their uh mascot died. Ugga 
It's a bulldog. Oh, yeah. It was and a real dog and it died. Real yeah. dog that died. This is the 10th version, Ugga X. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> in Roman numeral, uh, mm-hmm. highly decorated. Mm-hmm. And, More of a civil rights activist. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and PETA was really, uh, we're, we're very sensitive to Ugga passing away. I thought well, you were going to say about the Longhorn, because I'm like, I don't love PETA's tactics most of the time, but I've got to kind of side with PETA over here when you put a the Longhorn, yeah. a cow carcass on the lawn of a, of a frat. Really, they, they, they put their sights more on Ugga. Yeah. <laughs> Ugga, but the, those bulldogs live nine years, and they're bred into that's, their, that's the PETA bread. Said, yeah, so they don't PETA like, put out like the breeding part. Do you know they can't even have, give birth anymore? Bulldogs. I didn't they've, know that. They've they've manipulated the breed to such a degree that they uh, they're all born via uh, C-section because their their weird misshapen heads are so big they can't really? fit through can't a bulldog vagina. Yeah. I uh, and I you know so I feel like um, but on the other hand I feel the same way about people. I when I did Loveline there was a guy and his he let his dog have sex with him. Uh huh. And um, all the women. Our producer and phone screener, they're all disgusted. And you're turned on. By it. (laughs) Well, you're a man. I get it. Right. Yeah. No, I'm sort of like, look, as a dog, there's a lot of different places you could land. You could be... (laughs) I'm saying there's a... You know, you could be in Tijuana just wandering the streets with no owner. You you know what I mean? As a dog. Or you could be in Alaska... Pulling some lesbian musher, sure. you know, across the frozen whatever. Three, you're going to die before you get to Nome, Alaska. You know, in the sled, the musher sled. Yeah. Or you could be banging your owner. You're saying you know what I mean? in the hierarchy of needs, like that dog is actually living his best life. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. I'm. I'm saying a feminine stand-up male comedian, <laughs> then Ugga, then guy dog who bangs owner. You know, all these no, points I'm and saying, more are made in my new book. But. You are. You are Ugga, and you live three years, your life is three years shorter than the mutt up the street living in the shit apartment, but you are babied and cared for. And you're a star. You're a star, and you're fed the best, and you're chauffeured around. I mean, you got a dog. You got got a life. You, You ain't... You know, you're not a prison dog, you know, who's biting people. You're not sniffing out cocaine at the airport. Right. You know what I mean? Ugga truly lived. Truly lived in those short, better life shorter, than most. In, better my childhood, yeah. better than your childhood. I would actually yours. venture a guest and say that Ugga had a better child, uh, better life than the dog who was forced to fuck its owner. And in some Ugga ways, had a better life than ninety six percent of humanity <laughs> on this planet. <laughs> okay, right. fair. Yeah, all it was was starvation and dead death at birth, and you oh, know, no. war, I think famine, being, disease. Being, being a dog is the best iteration of life because you are you don't have to deal with the animal kingdom striving for food. You live with God, right. and God pets you and feeds you and says, "I love you." That sounds yeah, good. Right. Yeah, that sounds yeah, real. Occasionally, good. you get to bang God. <laughs> <laughs> Moshe, I want to give the book uh, a plug. Oh, yes, uh, please. I want to be respectful. I'll also be on time. tour, by the way. I'm going on book tour starting next week. I'm going to D.C., Austin, New York, Portland, L.A., San Francisco. Go to my website and all that. Come nice. see me. Where's the, Give me the website. MosheKasher.com, M-O-S-H-E-K-A-S-H-E-R. And uh, yeah, the book's out tomorrow. I'm like so excited. I put so much of my life and soul yeah. into this thing. Good. I really am proud of it. Yeah, it really looks great. Thank you. First book? It's a, my second. second book. Oh, okay, so. Yeah. Uh, you should be proud. Thank you. Subculture Vultures, the name of the book, out tomorrow. 
We'll take ourselves a, a quick break. Robert Daigle is going to be here, and uh, he's a stunt driver, former race car driver, worked on the whole Fast and Furious, a Ferrari, yeah, John Wick, everything. everything. So we'll talk all about that. We'll do that right after this. Hold on to your jingle bells. Pluto TV has all your holiday favorites for free. Enjoy our season's greetings category with nine holiday channels, including holiday movie favorites by Lifetime, Festive Fireplace, Holiday Lights, and Hallmark Movies and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming holiday favorites on live channels and on demand. With thousands of free movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is your home for the holidays. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. Oh, oh, O'Reilly. Don't miss do-it-right deals at O'Reilly Auto Parts. How long has it been since you've changed your spark plugs? Yeah, that's a good question. Replacing your spark plug can restore efficiency and performance to your vehicle. Get better gas mileage as well. And right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, get a $12 O'Reilly gift card after rebate when you purchase four or more select AC Delco Iridium spark plugs. Maintain your performance and fuel mileage with new spark plugs from O'Reilly Auto Parts. You can also improve visibility with their new wiper blades. Right now, save 12 bucks on a pair of Rain-X Rugged XL wiper blades. Plus, get two times O Rewards points. An extra large profile and premium features make rugged XL blades the right choice for extreme weather and driving durability. The professional parts people will even install your new pair of wiper blades for free. From spark plugs to wiper blades and more, save now with do-it-right deals in-store at O'Reilly Auto Parts or OReillyAuto.com. In honor of Jim Carolla's 92nd birthday, here's a list of all the things Adam Carolla will do before he dies. Drive a car off of a pier and onto a garbage barge. Just one of the things Adam will do before he dies. Let's get back to the Adam Carolla Show. Stunt director and driver, a man who's done the Wick series and Ford v. Ferrari and Baby Driver. There's a lot of real driving going on in Baby Driver, Gran Turismo, and, of course, uh, latest effort. Ferrari as well. Robert Nagel is here. Good to see you, Robert. Thanks for having me on. Uh, lean into that, Mike. Uh, thank you. Uh, so you've driven everything, done all the stunts in the movies. I talked to a few guys. Maybe Tanner Faust is a guy you probably Tanner. you've worked with. Yes, um, and Fer- Fry, we've talked to him. Yeah, and Jeremy. Ferrari. It now it strikes me that uh, Patrick Dempsey is a friend of mine, and he's a real driver. Yes. And so, do you go get out of the car, or do you go? <laughs> you know how to drive, so you get to drive the car, or it's, we're not insured for you to drive the car. How's that work? Michael really wanted him to drive, right? And obviously, there's a bit of a vetting process, mm-hmm. um, but he killed it, and he did ninety percent of his driving. Anything right. he didn't drive is because he wasn't available that day. And oh, I had okay. a double step in for him, but there was never a moment where it's like, oh, I don't know, Patrick, this is a bit much. He nailed it. He was, he was incredible. Yeah, well, he's got a lot of wheel time. Yeah. A lot of time, you know, Lamar probably did Lamar more than once, his yeah. team and all that, all that kind of stuff. So uh, you didn't have to worry about him, but the other no, guys. But it was, and, and the, the other side of it is, you know, if you don't have somebody that's worked around camera, and to understand how to find that lens and, and mm-hmm. play that, 
since he's been an actor, he yeah, understands how to play that. Yeah, did um, and the cars. I mean, you go, you know, Ford v Ferrari. I went and looked at some of those cars from the from well, the movie. Did. Yeah, someone was selling a bunch of them. Yeah, and uh, they're, oh, I guess. You used to call them kit cars, but they're tribute cars or something. I mean, it's like um, co- cover it. band versus tribute band. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? It's all semantics, but people don't like the slight of the kit car, but so we'll call them uh, yeah, cover you know, cars. It was a mix. We also had two uh, Superformance GT40s that are yeah. you know, licensed copies of the GT40, yes. and they both had 427s in them. Yeah, so those were authentic. They were a proper car. Right. So having to drive, so you get to drive the vintage old stuff, you know, Ferrari movies taking place in the late 50s, mid 50s, right? You get to drive those. Then you get to get into a GT40 and essentially drive what they were driving back in the day, because even if it's a replica, it's the same. Yeah, it's still still a handful. (laughs) Right. Now, the Ferraris are like Subaru powered or something, something like that, because they can't take an actual Ferrari that's worth $46 million and put I'd it like out to. there. Right? Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, actually they were powered by, the, the if you turn them upside down, the chassis and driveline was based off a of Caterham 620, which is a supercharged four-cylinder. Yeah. All right. So, and do you know, when you, when you work with a director, do you work with directors who don't care as much, not as authentic, or just not as, car centric or something versus other guys or and is it even the directors it always the stunt coordinator or the second unit guy like who's like michael mann is super passionate about ferrari yes he's got a ferrari engine inside of his office i've been there so he's into it so he must have been all all over it right yeah and every director has a, is a different dynamic and a different relationship so michael yes being a car guy it's a more one-on-one conversation of how we accomplish what he's trying to get on camera. Back up to Ford v. Ferrari with James Mangold. Off the bat, he says, I'm not a car guy. Right. You guys figure this out. Come to me with a plan, and let's do it. Right. And so I was able to write all the action scenes for Ford Ferrari and have his blessings on it and changes, and then that's what we photographed. So do you start by going, well, I got to research uh, Le Mans 1967, 66, 66. So I got to research it. I got to get all the guys' names. I got to get what Ferrari they're driving. I got this, the right model of um, GT40 and how many, who broke, who blew up, how many laps were ahead, behind. You just go through the whole chronology of it. Yeah, so it's step-by-step, and that sort of gives you a building block for the story Mm -hmm. of what you want to tell. Right. And then you're also like, well, should we spice it up a little bit? Should we add a little bit to it? Um, But a lot of it was, you know, if you look at the footage of the original uh, 1966, just the start, there's an interaction with two cars almost wrecked 10 miles. So we recreated that, and then we added another crash to it to just make it a little more yeah they peril. do the, they do the running start everyone jumps in right. and takes off as fast as they can no one puts their seatbelt on and somebody lit up the rear tire got a little squirrely and right at the right at the start i'll tell you what needs to be corrected and i'm going to fix this because <laughs> uh this is why you're here robert actually we're um 100 fast and furious which ones did you work on because it was driving me nuts i'll tell you what drives me nuts you know what drives me nuts in Fast and Furious? They're all on the cargo plane, right? They're getting ready to 
they're ready to launch themselves off the back of the cargo plane. Okay. Right? Number one. Why not load the cargo plane so that you're facing the opening so that you can drive out of the cargo plane before the parachute? Why is everyone backing? Right. It would be unnerving enough to drive out of a plane that was 25,000 feet in the air. It'd be super unnerving to do it backwards. Even Southwest Airlines got rid of that weird backward facing (laughs) jump seat thing they used to have back in the 90s. Everyone is. Backing, they load the plane right. in. Seen, yeah. Okay. So when they drop back out of the plane, in. they go out backwards. I would say I think people. First off, you could be backing out and clip the side of the plane, <laughs> or back into somebody else who wasn't back. You want to be using your rearview mirror and like p- c- craning your head around, or can we all just have a clear shot into the into the opening? Right. That's number one. They weren't thinking ahead. Number two, every single time it was time to go. And by the way, everyone backed out, like, drop it. they drop it in reverse and then punch it. You know, there's like, you could easily just clip something on the plane, right? Right. Nerves. Nerves are frayed at that point. <laughs> Every time they do it, they do the close-up of the hand. Boom. He drops it, throws it in reverse, and they'll do it going forward, too. They'll go, boom, in the drive. Then they cut to the feet. Three <laughs> pedals. There's a clutch. It's an automatic. You just put it in drive, and then they cut to the feet, and the feet are like, bang, bang, bang. But it's like, what do you mean bang, bang? There's no clutch. There's no three pedals. It's an automatic car. Yeah. There's no clutch. Why are we doing this? Robert, explain yourself, please. <laughs> there, you know, for those fast series, I worked on five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Oh, oh the, those are the, the sweetest, yeah. primest. I was just a hired gun for mm-hmm. that. But I feel what you're saying. 100%. Were you driving along the ice and everything? We did some. Um, actually, I began Baby Driver for that sequence. Mm-hmm. So I came in later. Baby Driver was a lot of just. Um, That's uh, a Subaru, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of sort of. Also, wait a minute. They didn't do it in Baby Driver, but the other movie that I hate that works <laughs> Drive. is Drive is where the guy can't catch the other guy. So he goes, I'll throw it in reverse, reverse. and then I'll catch him while I pop it in reverse. It's like, eh, your cars don't go faster in reverse. They're geared a little lower. but It looks cool. It looks cool. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's Baby Driver license. was uh, very <laughs> tactile. It was, it was like real driving. Like yeah. It wasn't uh, the difference between analog and digital. This was analog. 100%. This was all driving, right? No CGI or effects or whatever, right? Yeah, that was the whole goal from the beginning when we met with Edgar to start designing the action for that. And we spent a year with him, meeting every month and just kind of spitballing the ideas and sketching out the, the how that would play out. Mm-hmm. And really it was all about being grounded in reality and trying to figure out some stuff that just hadn't been seen before. What do you have? I mean, everybody's, um, everyone kind of has their Mount Rushmore of car movies, you know, chase scenes, mm-hmm. you know, Steve McQueen and all that kind of stuff. But what, what do you have? Or what's a movie that is a little under the radar that has some, some really cool sequences that we may, we may not appreciate? I mean, obviously I'm going to say, you know, who doesn't love Bullet? I mean, if you look at the time and when the era when that was shot, it was some good stuff. Yeah. But that being said, one of my favorite that I've always strived to excel and go past is Ronan. I mean, yeah. the, the sequences in that are fantastic. Yeah, with De Niro. Yes. 
Yeah, so you got Ronan as sort of sleeper, doesn't get mentioned in the same breath as some of no, these movies, but it should be. Should, yeah, because yeah, you hear Bullet, you hear um, French Connection, you hear all the yeah. other ones, right. but rarely does somebody say Ronan. I mean, there were some really great pieces in there. What's the hairiest stunt? I think that your phone, someone's phone may be going off. Um, what's what's a hairy stunt that you've seen? Like, for instance, in... in um, I'm trying to think. Uh, all right, I'll think of the movie. It's, uh, oh, God, the Burt Reynolds, Jan Michael Vincent uh, stunt movie. Oh. Hooper. Hooper, yes. Come on. You should have been on that. <laughs> and Hooper, <laughs> trying to... they launched a rocket car like over Broken Bridge. Now, I don't know if anyone was in it, and I don't know yeah, how, it, how it worked. Way before my time. but That would have been a pretty, pretty hairy stunt to be. What well, are like- also in Hooper, Hooper, they found some old industrial town in, you know, yes. outside of Flint, Michigan or whatever. And they blew up the town. Yeah. Right? It's practical. But part of blowing up the town is they had all these old brick smokestacks, you know, that went 150 feet in the air. And they had to, they blew them and they drove yeah. under them. No, you know, and there's... and it's like that ain't CGI, that ain't Mm-mm. nothing. That's just a dude holding the cores with like a button. Like we're gonna try to blow this thing and we're gonna try to time it so the smokestack comes down, but you got to get under it. But we only have one smokestack, so we don't want you to get under it too easily. But it'd be nice if it was coming down and you just made it under it, and right. it's like. And he does. That's pretty it's, hairy. It's yeah. I mean, you got one chance. Yes. And there's that shot where you look at it. You think it's going to hit the car. It's that tight. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then they did. Uh, and then there's original gone in sixty seconds. I like the original. Yeah. And then the crazy guy who made it, I think, died later on. If, yeah. To do sort of a sorted pass there. Something. Yeah. Something else. But there was also a lot of like. <laughs> Running and gunning, like the it original was, yeah. Gone in sixty seconds. Not like they pulled permits no. and like dropped, <laughs> blocked off the streets or anything. They just went for it. Yeah, guerrilla style. Yeah, yeah, hundred. Yeah, seriously, guerrilla style. I don't know. I mean, even when you watch, um, when you watch Bullet, you go, well, they pulled a permit, but they're still had a bunch of there's city streets and cars parked on them and stuff like that. Like it wasn't that. It wasn't contained. super controlled, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And it kind of missed those days, right? Kind of fun. Yeah, but you also <laughs> get kind of killed, right? You, there, there, are, there are consequences sometimes. I'm sure. Where is that? Uh, find that smokestack. It's got, we've seen it. It's on the internet from Hooper. It's a great shot. What, mean, are, what are some of the, the sequences that you've worked on that people would know the best? That's a tough one. I mean, you know, the, all the stuff from Baby Driver was so detailed in how we planned all that um and especially since we we utilized a rig that i helped design which is the biscuit rig so when you when we're inside the car with the actors we're doing the same stunt with this rig that you see in the wide shot so when we cut to the interior of the car and they're being thrown around it's because it's real right what is the biscuit rig so the biscuit rig uh myself and alan padalford designed this thing it's basically a drivable platform that'll do 150 miles an hour we can put a car or a car buck on it, put the actors in, put cameras anywhere you want, and then the drive pod is movable, meaning mm. if they're looking forward, we can move it to the back. So uh-huh. now you can look forward, and it, 
Do I have a picture? I gotta see a picture of this rig. Biscuit so is it sort of? Um, I remember I was talking to Tanner Faust, and he was talking about doing Red Dawn Part Two or something, mm-hmm. and he was just sitting in the back. Did we do that? Driving, too. driving from the back of the car in a cage in the back, which sounds preposterous to me, <laughs> but but it's a way to get the actors in the car and actually get their reaction, which is organic, which is yes. freaking the fuck out. Right? <laughs> which I mean, if you want to go back to that, Ford versus Ferrari, when uh, Tracy Letts, who's playing Henry Ford, goes right. for a ride with Matt Damon, all oh, right, in the great scene. Ford, right. yeah. yeah. So that was on the biscuit rig as well. I, oh, dr- I drove that sequence. Well, that's oh, cool. what you should yeah. have brought up. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. We didn't tell Tracy we were going to throw a 180. Oh. Right. So the first take, it's it startles him. That yeah. is a great piece, I love that of, piece. of filmmaking. His, his, you know, he's got stuff dripping out of his nose. He's crying. He's yeah. sniveling like that. And, and, and it's a, such a pivotal part of the movie. Maybe my favorite scene in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I but, would but agree. In, in that particular case, it's like the biscuit rig was the actor yes. as well because it got the reaction from the actor. Uh, we have the smokestack. It's twenty-two seconds. Let's see if we can see if we can appreciate this. They're literally just blowing up a tent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's and go explosions everywhere. Everyone's just driving in there. Cars catching on fire. There's one smokestack, but yeah. there's the other smokestack, which is yeah. this one. Amazing. This is <laughs> this is like those things like we can only, we only have one shot at this guy, so we have to do it right. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like you get to rehearse that. No, and they're <laughs> driving on a wet dirt kind of road where if you give too much gas input, you're just going to spin the rear tires and you can't really. St- <laughs> Pretty much worst case scenario. Oh God! <laughs> and you have to commit. You have oh, yeah. to commit. No, yeah. it's it's crazy. You guys should watch it. Watch it online. So that I want to see what the biscuit rig looks like. So the biscuit rig is you putting the the car on the rig. Yes. And then you uh, driving the rig while the actors are in the car. Let the actors act. Right. Mm-hmm. Let them let them act. Is it? You know, pardon me for besmirching the biscuit rig, but couldn't we figure out a way to get Matt Damon just to, you know, drop the clutch and chirp the gears and, you know. Here's the problem with that. You still have to photograph it. Right. So you got to hang cameras on it, batteries. Uh, And by the time you're done, yeah, there we go. That's Fred from Ford Ferrari with, that was the Willow Springs race with uh, Christian Bale. Right. By the time you have all that stuff on there, the car Mm. doesn't respond or you can't see it just oh, it creates so many more problems i see this yeah. is a super controllable environment yeah this won the academy award too the business yes, right? yeah it won an academy award for that what academy award it went for engineering and technical achievement ah yeah yeah so that's the it, okay so it's a it's a rig and it's uh looks like it's completely bespoke and fabricated right. like you can buy the tires you can buy the tires, <laughs> everyone else, everything else. And it, its power plant is a what? Because it's got to have some big-time so displacement. This one, yeah, the one you see is it's as big as you can make an LS. It's naturally aspirated, about 650 horsepower. Mm-hmm. It's over 500 foot-pounds of torque at 2,500. Mm-hmm. And the displacement is? I, I want to say 460 cubic inches. Okay, so as big as you can make yeah, I mean, 427. Yeah, and... Uh, 
because you're going to need that thing's got to weigh a lot. It's not as much as you think. They and make that, it out of steel. It's all steel, but mm. it's it's engineered from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So that's a pod type car. Mm-hmm. And and so and you put the car in sort of the cradle. The car's not too high off the ground. The car no. The car itself sits only eight or ten inches, probably. And that was part of the design is to right. get the car back to ride height. Because right. a lot of times, you know, you'll see it on TV all the time. They got cameras looking at the actor, and you're like, they're like 10 feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, that works. I'll tell you the other the problem with Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, when they went to Willow Springs, and they had uh, Christian Bale, and he's out there running the Cobra against Bondurant. Yeah, The other guys, they're going the wrong direction on no, the track. We're going the right way? No, you guys went the wrong way. You want the wrong direction you on the track. You want to put money on it? <sighs> no, Maybe you've been going the wrong direction. Scene. You want... It goes clockwise. You do? Yeah. Well, out on the road you do, but when you went past the finish line, the start finish, no. you're going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Nope. Mm-hmm. All right, we did now couple, we got to find yeah. it. So we did a couple hinky things. One was, yes, at the end, when they, when they finished the race... We did a U-turn back into the pit lane, which was going counter course. That might be what you're thinking That's of. That's the end of the race. You were going the wrong way. Yeah. When you're on the road course. Correct. You were driving the, the road course. But it was just for storytelling to connect yeah, Ken to his child. Storytelling still going yeah. the wrong way I know, for the end know. of the race. I got to pick my battles, Adam. <laughs> I got to pick my battles. <laughs> yeah, but the race, definitely, I've done a few. Actually, I only did. I did a Trans Am. I did a Trans Am 1. Nice race there in a C7R vet that fast you track. probably would have liked. That track was it's two and a half miles. 2.5, yeah. 2.5. And the guy who was on the pole did like a 118 and a That's half. That's quick. Or something. That's quick. Fastest I've been is 124. <clears throat> Yeah, that is hauling ass. Uh, your average speed is is, is yeah, fast. It was on that. well over a hundred. I mean, I think a minute thirty is around a hundred miles an hour average. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll try to figure out who did it. Anyway, um, came in third through a stroke of stroke of guys. Nice. Um, <laughs> like I signed up for a professional Trans Am race, then I'd never been in a Trans Am car. That's awesome. And I never even sat in it before, and. And there's also there's Trans Am one, Trans Am two, and Trans Am three. Trans Am three is almost stock, high performance cars, but the tires are a little thinner and the, the horsepower is down a little. It's a, almost a street car that's been modified. Trans Am two is faster, but Trans Am one is just a tube frame, yeah. balls out, nine hundred fifty horsepower, crazy machine. And I get the. I, someone's asked me if I want to do it four months out. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up. I've never even driven on the big track at Willow. Oh, you've never even been on the track. I don't like that track. I don't like that big turn eight, the big sweeper. You just got to hold the throttle down. That's what they said. But I, I was like, I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, sign me up. I'll be there. And then I showed up, and it's like a whole semi-trucks and techs and 950 horsepower and a cage and Corvette. I've never driven a Corvette. I drove Datsun 510 vintage cars. It's a great little car. You know what I mean? And sequential shifting and stuff. And I just showed up and I was like, whoa, what is this? I was like, there, there you go. Got to get in there. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, wow. And then they go, you got a radio in your helmet? I go, no. I oh, raced wow. in vintage racing. There were no radios in the helmet. And they're like, oh, all right. Well, 
look for us. You know, we'll do it. We'll wave Whatever. to you. It's 100 miles. So get on in. And the tires are going to go after about after about 60 laps. I think it was a 100-lap race. No, no, it was a 40-lap race. Sorry. That so sounds 40, right. It was a 40-lap race. That's and they said one. after about 30 laps, the tires are going to get super gummy and uh, deal with it. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And uh, I mean, it was I, I came in third. I got on the yeah, podium. It was crazy. That's impressive. I I spun the car out with cold tires on like a like a warm up lap and everything, and it was crazy. And basically, all I was doing is following the guys who were in front of me, okay. and I was just doing what they did. And that's how I I figured it out. Well done. It, it was it was it was crazy. But like you know. Modern cars are just easier to drive than the older stuff. Like yes, they're and different, but yes. Mm-hmm. I have a rocket powered trans. Oh, I have the rocket powered Trans Am jump <laughs> as well. <laughs> now I don't know if anyone was in this car. I don't think so. I could find out, but I don't. You think would. So. You you got your sources. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, I just, could get the real story. I'll just. Uh, this is Jan Michael Vincent. God rest his soul. <laughs> This is Burt Reynolds. God rest his soul. Love Burt. At the height of their dude 70s right? powers. The height of Hal Needham. Fuck this. By the way, Hollywood was much different back yes. then. It was dudes who like fought and drank and backhanded women and <laughs> smoked. And there was no sensitivity. And it's no, we're worried about the people in Gaza. And my pronouns are, oh, no pussies in Hollywood back then. Everyone uh-uh. just drank, smoked, and beat up women. And it was fine. <laughs> that's how it worked. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Right. I'm saying we've gone too far the other. So we should have stopped about yeah. 1991. Now we have, you know, all these pussies crying about the indigenous whatever, and they're talking about global warming. <laughs> We've gone too fucking right. far. We should have stopped 91, 89, 91. If we just stopped. That's the sweet spot right that's there. That's the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. All right, here they go. Brush your foot on it when you got behind this wheel. Sonny Ski, if you do not try to make this jump, you'll never work in this town again. Is that- we're going, huh? We're going, yeah, we're going. You're crazy. I got a rocket car. <laughs> but I think it's like a water oh, yeah. rocket. <laughs> they take a rocket car. They jump it over a bridge. <laughs> they land. It's a different shot when they landed. Right. But was there somebody in there? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now Amy can can look it up so we can we can uh, figure it out. Yeah, you're right. Ford v. Ferrari went the right direction on the track, and then this at the, the very world, yeah. end. How is it uh, working with all this? How much actor time do you do you get in when you're doing that kind of stuff? You it know? depends. I got, you know, I spent a substantial amount of time training Christian Bale, mm-hmm. and we wound up taking him to out to Bob Bondurant school when he was still alive. And it was for me, it was sort of twofold. A, I obviously want to teach him to drive, but Bob was such an icon from that era. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, his information I thought would be invaluable. What surprised me, and we spent a week out there, mm-hmm. is he was very close friends with Ken Miles. Bondurant. Bondurant was. Yeah. So there was a wealth of information that Christian was able to get from Bob and just conversations about Ken 
It was yeah. fantastic. And we would spend, we went there like end of July. So it was blazing fucking balls. It's in there. Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. I think and they we got would, bought by somebody. It did. Um, yeah. But, so, we, so we'd start at seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. Go until two in the afternoon, and by then, I mean you could fry an egg on the yeah, asphalt. Yeah, too hot, especially if you're driving a Cobra. Um, which yeah, I we don't were, know you were no, doing. We but. I mean, it, we it was just basic building blocks to learn, you know, right. starting from A to B and just going up. Yeah, because uh, Christian Bale had to drive a convertible Cobra around, and so you know there was going to be shots where he had to be driving the yes. car, right? But he's in the biscuit rig mm, the whole time, the majority of it. Really? When we see his face, he's in the biscuit rig. No, oh, except for the end one where you're going the wrong direction. Yes. <laughs> he's driving. <laughs> you're not going to let that one go. <laughs> I can't. That's why Christian Bale can, do, can look 90 but, degrees for that's uh, right. Right. 10 seconds. But I got to tell you, you know, we, we finish the week off in Formula Mazdas, and my test oftentimes is start pressuring them. Open, How much open wheel yeah. little car. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Winged open wheel, mm-hmm. slicks, mm-hmm. really fast car. Yeah. And I kept hounding him and I got closer and closer and I would pop out and mm-hmm. try and distract him and he never bobbled once. Really? It was amazing. Concentration. Yeah. yeah. Did uh the rig, the biscuit rig, you rent it out now? How's it work? Are there people trying to knock it off? Did you did There's, you get it, you know, did you get it trademarked or or patented or whatever? We didn't patent it because then I have to tell you how we did it. Mm. So, it's left to people to try and figure out. But is it rented out for yes, other yeah. films and yes. that's a good Yeah. There's three there's three versions of it. Had to be 150 grand, a couple hundred grand to build that thing. 300 grand? More. It was I mean with all the engineering that went into it and the labor it's it's 2-300. Yeah. It's a lot of fabrication going on. But that's good because the the last they had a version. There is a Porsche Cayenne or something that's like a high-performance Porsche that has the big boom. Yeah, we we have those, too. On top of yep. it. And it's nice that in 2020-something, we're, we're, we're still in the business of cars and, and actual racing and, and capturing it and not in the full CGI universe. Yes. Of, it's, it's nice. It's nice that, that, it's nice that the car chase just still exists and it's, and it's probably exists more so than it did 20 years ago yeah and, and you sort of touched on the whole cg thing and for me my selling point has always been the subject matter needs to be real we mm-hmm. can play around the peripheral so using the biscuit rig or other devices similar now you can have the actors in the middle of the action right and it keeps you in the story because oftentimes when you don't do it that way there's that moment that takes you out of the story, and you can't always point to what's wrong, but you know something's wrong. Do you, the, the biscuit rig, <laughs> I would much prefer to being that C7R vet with the, ca- the cage and the 950 horsepower than sitting in the biscuit rig car. I would feel more vulnerable. Oh, you're talking oh, like about as in the picture car. Yeah, the yes. picture oh, car. It's, it's a little unnerving. If I you're, would say. If you're used to being in control, it's right. a little unnerving. I would also <laughs> say you they must run into some actors or some talent and just go, I don't want to get into the the, the, the picture car on the biscuit rig. Knock you know on what I mean? wood, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. But we also ease them into it oftentimes. We don't just go out there and run 10 tents. <laughs> right, right. And they're going to know, yeah, they'll... Uh, yeah, you you take it easy and you sort of build yeah. build it up. With Christian, we didn't have to. He was ready to just you know let's go. 
Love that guy. Yeah. He's <laughs> All a, right. In, in Ferrari, I know you mm. you worked with Nick Mason. Uh, well, one of his cars, right? Yes. His yeah. One we had of one of the Maseratis. We had two Maseratis, and one was from his stable. From Pink Floyd. The yeah. drummer. Oh. Drummer. Yeah, so they actually used one of Nick, Nick yeah. Mason's vehicles. And I'm sorry, in, in which way? Ferrari. Ferrari. Oh, Ferrari, yeah. I was thinking, because I was thinking Maserati, and I was thinking Le Mans. I was mm. going, huh? But in, but in the 50s, there would have been some of those. Yeah. God, that guy's got yeah. a collection. He does. Did Amazing he show cool. up? He did not. His guys came out, uh, and I, I watched his car compete. He's driven by uh, Marino Franchetti. Oh, at, at great Monaco. guy! Yeah, yeah, love him. Yeah, and his they brother Dario's pretty yeah. cool dude too. I haven't a chance to meet him, but yeah, I'm sure the Franchetti brothers are yeah. fantastic. They are. They're just sweethearts. I don't know what it is. Just good people. They're good people. That's a good way to uh, discuss them. And one of them's married. Was married to one of them's married to his to Nick Mason's yeah, daughter. Yeah, Marino is. Yeah. Oh, okay. One of them. God damn it. Why didn't I marry? <laughs> yeah. Fucking Nick Mason's daughter. Jesus Christ. Could have been in that GTO. I'm bummed she's off the market too, man. Uh, no, no. She was married to a Judd. I think. One of the Marino brothers. Wait. Marino. Uh, Dario. Mar- there's Dario Franchetti was married to a Judd. Ashley Judd. Ashley oh, Judd. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She was probably they're probably divorced now because he's are. too nice and she's too she's too nutty, and that's <laughs> never going to last. Timeline's correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me give a plug. Ferrari the movie. It's out on VOD. And uh, hold on. Practical effects. Practical effects. Are you sitting down? Buddy Joe Hooker made the 325-foot jump, setting a record for rocket-assisted stunts. I could see him doing that. Is that farther than Vin Diesel jumping from building to building in in Dubai? Huh? Yeah, that's a real thing. Now, Buddy Joe was probably driving. I don't think Vin Vin was driving. (laughs) But, um, see, that's the whole point. Jumping, look, driving your, your Dodge... Challenger down a dam. It's just all CGI. And once it becomes that, then the answer is sort of then let's do anything. Let's put a Fiero. Which they have that. To set a Fiero to the moon. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? This is a guy named Buddy Joe Hooker, that's the greatest stunt driving name ever, sat in that car and launched it 325 yeah. feet. All right. Uh Robert, uh, thanks for uh, coming in. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. That was uh, that was fun. And again, Ferrari's the name of the movie. It's available on VOD as we speak. I'm going to be in Naples, Florida, off the Hook Comedy Club uh, this Friday and Saturday for four shows. So you can come on out and say hi to that. Say hi to me. Moshe Cashier's got book. Subculture Vulture is out. Until next time, it's Adam for Robert in motion. Chris saying mahalo. You can leave us voicemail at 888-634-1744. And you can get tickets to see the Ace Man at adamcarolla.com. Hold up. 
Hold on to your jingle bells. Pluto TV has all your holiday favorites for free. Enjoy Christmas classics like Scrooge with Bill Murray or Last Holiday with Queen Latifah. Plus, dive into festive channels like holiday movie favorites by Lifetime or Hallmark movies and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming holiday favorites on live channels and on demand. With thousands of free movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is your home for the holidays. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. Hold on to your jingle bells. Pluto TV has all your holiday favorites for free. Enjoy our season's greetings category with nine holiday channels, including holiday movie favorites by Lifetime, Festive Fireplace, Holiday Lights, and Hallmark Movies and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming holiday favorites on live channels and on demand. With thousands of free movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is your home for the holidays. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.